And Lord, we do thank you for, uh, for their service, for the services of those who have paid the ultimate price. Well, good morning, um, or good afternoon, I should say. So we're going to continue on in our, in our uh, uh, series here in, in Isaiah, and our brother Izzy, as I like to call him, I have a, a nephew who's Isaiah, and we call him Izzy. So, so uh, we're going to, uh, we're all the way to chapter 3, um, and there's good, good stuff here. Now, like I said last week, I know it's kind of, this is kind of heavy because for 39, 39 chapters, it's judgment, judgment, judgment. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard. And when you're studying this, it gets heavy. It does. Uh, but there's always that, that. I love the way that, that uh, God has so supplied this and, and made this available to us. And there's always a little uh, glimmer of hope and, uh, because of who He is and His character. And I always think of when I'm going through this time, I always think about uh, a couple of things. One of the things I mentioned is when we uh, closed in the music portion of our service was that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Um, but I also think of the fact in the Old Testament, it says, you know, David said that, that the Lord is slow to anger and quick to forgive. That's part of his nature, and I love that, that even though when he's calling out um, rightful judgments, rightful decrees, and how he's going to judge the people, and really all we need to do is read the book of Deuteronomy, and, and we can find out specifically what was going to happen. Um, even Moses there toward the end of, uh, of his time with his people, right before they went into the land, and remember he was held back because of his, his no, disobedience and not treating God as holy. And so God said, you shall not enter the land. Um, even there towards the end when, when he got towards uh, uh, the, the declaration that he was going to do in blessing all the different tribes, how he said that, hey, you're a rebellious people. I know this. And this is what you're going to do. He didn't say it as uh, something that was just prophetic in the sense that um, God was telling him that. He, he knew that this is what was going to happen. And so a lot of these judgments were... They were just meant to come because of the fact that um, in our fallen sinful nature, um, we are disobedient. We are very disobedient. And that's just the way that we are, right? And I've said over and over and over again, you've heard me say it millions of times, you're probably sick of me saying it, but you know, kids, the children, babies are the best example of the fact that we're fallen. You know, even, even the anti-theist spends time teaching his children what not to do. And doesn't have to, doesn't have to train them to be a liar or to be selfish or to be, you know, throwing tantrums and all that stuff. It's just one of those things. Um, they're the greatest proof of the fact that we're, uh, um, we are that, uh, um, that fallen creature, that fallen, we have that fallen nature. And uh, so let's, uh, let's open up into Isaiah chapter 3. Um, I'll uh, read the uh, 12 verses that we hope to cover, and then we'll, we'll continue on from there. Now remember what I said last week. Um, Isaiah, when it was written, it, uh, Isaiah has more stuff to say than what he did in chapter 2. This is a continuation. Probably one of the most famous of these 
uh, places is in Isaiah, at the end of Isaiah 52, in the last two or three verses there, and into 53, that should be one reading there. Um, and so it is here, and, you, and you'll notice here when last week when we, uh, we finished up with verse 22, where, um, where God was speaking through Isaiah, saying, Stop regarding man whose breath is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? And then we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, for, or therefore, um, behold. And so it's a continuation. It's not, it's not a whole new thing. This is part of, of what, uh, um, in fact, Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are all written as one in the original. So there was no chapter breaks there. And so this is a continuation of what he was talking about. And remember, he was, he was talking about the, the, um, um, all the things that he was against. He's going to do a little bit more about that, but he's going to get more detailed in here. So let's read this real quick, and then we'll continue on. So he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of Isaiah, he says, For behold... The Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the expert artisan, and the skillful enchanter. I will make mere lads their princes. And capricious children will rule over them. Ooh. The counselor, the ex, or excuse me, uh, the, uh, the, and the people will be oppressed. By whom? Each one by another. And each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder. And the inferior against the honorable. When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our ruler, and these ruins will be under your charge. On that day will he protest, saying, I will not be your healer, for in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You should not appoint me ruler of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen. Because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. To rebel against His glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them. And they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them! For they have brought evil on themselves. Say to the righteous that it will go well with them. For they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to that wicked, it will go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. O oh, my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we pray that we would never be um, so far from you, that we would never stray so far to find ourselves in this condition. We thank you, Lord, that there's those words of promise that are uh, written for us, that I've already spoken of. For those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Um, and we thank you, Lord, for that. Father, we pray as we uh, go through this, Lord, that you would just open up our minds, ears, eyes, and hearts to these truths. 
They would take them in, drink them in. And they would, um, Lord, that you would just teach us in accordance with your word. For we need you to. Um, thank you, Lord, for everything. And thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the glorious king. Thank you that, as we read in uh, the last uh, part of uh, um, last week's message, that, Lord, you will be exalted even in judgment, especially in judgment. We thank you that you will also be glorified and exalted in the salvation of lost sinners. We thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. Have your way here amongst us. For your name's sake and for your glory's sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So he begins, um, he continues from the, you know, why should you, why should you honor man? Why should, why should you glorify man? Why should you even regard him um, whose breath is in his nostrils? And the reason that's there is obviously because this is verse 22 of, of, uh, of chapter 2. Because where does man draw breath from? From God. He couldn't do it any other way. And so this is what he's setting up. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, For behold, the Lord God of hosts, Adonai Elohim of hosts. Remember, this is the Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, has that militaristic idea built into it in the Hebrew. It's got that idea of, a, of military come together ready for an attack. That's the idea. Um, and he is the, the Lord of that host. And he is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah. So all of his people are going to be afflicted. They're going to be um, affected by this. And the effect is going to be horrific. It's going to be monumental. Um, it's going to be horrible in its, in its, in its outreach. And, and you know, um, judgment, it says, I want to read from First uh, Peter chapter 4 in the New Testament. And even though here in, uh, in the opening verses we are in the midst of a declaration of judgment of God upon um, a rebellious and idolatrous people, His people um, is where His judgments begin. How do we know this? Well, 1 Peter 4, 15-18 says this, and Peter writes, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Um, and then notice what he says here in verse 16. He says, but if anyone suffers, or but if as a Christian, one of those places where that word is actually used in the New Testament, he is not to be ashamed. You notice the difference. He says, look, if you're suffering because you're breaking the law, the obvious law, it's not just God's law, you're breaking the, the, the moral law that, that God has given, but you're also breaking the civic laws. Um, murderers, thieves, evildoers, troublesome meddlers. He says, but if you suffer as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. Now, and I think about this, and we think about this as we're going through the, the book of Philippians. Paul, writing the epistle, was in prison. He was, he was the example of what Peter's talking about here. Paul was not ashamed that he was in prison because of his Christianity, because he was preaching the gospel. That's all he was doing. That's what he was guilty of, okay? So that's the idea. He says he is not to be ashamed. Why? But it is to glorify God in this name. In the name of God and in the name as a Christian, we're called little Christ. He says in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. 
One of the things that is a true statement is as Christians, when we truly live as Christians, we will be persecuted. It just, it just is. It's just the way that it is because we go against the spirit of the age. We're strangers. We're peculiar people, as Peter says in another place. Um, this is not our kingdom. Our kingdom is of another world. And our homeland is somewhere else. Yes, we're citizens of, of the United States, but we're also citizens of heaven. We have a dual citizenship. And, um, and that's one of the things that we should expect, um, despite what there are so many false teachers out there teaching just the opposite, um, that if you're believing Jesus, you know, he just wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, well, no, that's not what they expected. That's not what Peter expected. That's not what he said that there would be a judgment. And the judgment is going to be when, when we're truly Christian, we will be judged by the world. In fact, right now, I mean, think about it. You can, right now, in our reality, it's a bizarre reality. You can go to Home Depot and wait in line with hundreds of people. You can go to Lowe's or any other grocery store and wait there and shop amongst all different kinds of people. And for a couple of months, they said, but you can't gather in church. I mean, think about that. What was that really all about? I mean, really. Um, and like I said, I posted on, on Facebook, you know, it's curious to me how many of the churches just immediately caved and just didn't even question just went right along with it. I, I was just, I was shocked and heartbroken at some of it. How and how uh, I liked. Uh, I listened to uh, a dividing line with uh, Dr. James White, and you know, even he said, you know, well, you know, the the president just declared that uh, that churches are essential again. So, you know, so where's how are you going to respond to Romans 13 now? And uh, you, you know, the government has spoken, so you know, got to do what the government says. Well, we, we didn't fall into that trap, and thank God, um, you know, God kept us going, and we were able to meet, because I'll tell you, I mean, that's uh, not meeting with, uh, with y'all would have been just dry, it would have been a long, you know, but judgment, he says, begins, it's to begin with the household of God, that's where it begins. He says, for um, it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God, and if it begins with us, with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I like that meme that I've seen that, you know, you go into these places where they have these, here, they have these X's about six foot apart. And those, that meme that says, nah, I watch those cartoons. I ain't stepping on that X. Yeah, no. No, no. I'm old. I, I figured that out already. No. Um. But he says, he says, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? He says, if we're going to be judged in our time, how much more so? And those will be judged. The uh, Zuckerbergs and the, all these technocrats and all these other people that think that they're getting away with uh, murder, literally. I mean, why else would you take sick people and take them to the, to the sickest and the most desperately uh, compromised people, the elderly, why would you take and dump them in that place? And the answer is to kill off the old. 
I'm just being brutally honest. That's the only thing I can figure it out. It's to kill off the old. There's an agenda. And uh, uh, yeah, you may want to call me a little bit of a conspiracist, but um, I mean, what, what other reason do they have? Why wouldn't they take them to the hospitals where they should be and really treat them for what they, you know, for what they really have and the problems that they're, and the people that actually died because they couldn't get into a hospital. Um, didn't mean, didn't, didn't plan on going there, but uh, I, I just had to touch on that. But it's how much more, what will be the outcome, Peter asked, for those who do not obey the gospel, who reject it. And the, I love the fact that the, that the, the World Wide Web is just saturated with the gospel right now. You can't go anywhere without and 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 pop open and see that there's there's just millions of feeds from people and and that's one of the ways that God's working I believe in this this whole thing and praise God for that. But he says, what's going to be the outcome for these people who disobey the gospel and have it available twenty four seven? All they need to do is open up a, a YouTube page or a Facebook page or a Zoom page or whatever the heck there is. There there it's available everywhere. What will be the outcome for those? It's a great question. He's putting it in juxtaposition. And then he says, And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, with difficulty, we're to expect it. He says, What will become of the godless man and the sinner? Yeah. They, they, they think that, you know, and, and it's... I've, I've, I've talked with people who say that they don't believe in God. They don't. Believe, that's your truth. That's not my truth. And they believe in that nonsense. And and it's like, well, you know, that uh, that's irrelevant. You will deal with God. All those famous, you know, anti-theists who would not. And I I, I love what uh, Robbie said about that. He said in, in speaking with with uh, um, anti-theists for the last 40, 50 years, however long he was ministering. Um, he would say that the problem with people rejecting God isn't an intellectual one. That's not the problem. That's what they claim. They have an intellectual problem with it. No, he said the problem is a moral one, namely that they're immoral and they do not want to bow to a holy God. That is the, uh, that is the, the crux of the matter. There is a God and He is holy, and so Peter asks this question as a result of the, of the judgments of God. He asks, what will become of them? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms. And it's horrific. It's horrible. But let's continue on. Um, he says, for behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove uh, from Jerusalem and from uh, Judah both supply and support. So the commerce... Going to be dead. The supplies for this commerce going to be gone. Um, and he says the whole supply of bread. What is that referring to? There's going to be nothing to eat. Famine. Famine is going to take place. God is going to cause it. There are those people who look at these kind of passages and immediately jump to a moralization of, of God. How could God starve people? What kind of God would do that? 
one who said that this is what would happen if they did not obey him, after they had agreed to obey. He's just keeping his end of the bargain. But he staved it off. He held it back for the longest time. He says, the supply of bread, gone. The supply of water, what do you need to live? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need food and water to live. This is where it starts. This is where it's going to begin. This is really heavy stuff. He says the whole supply of, of water, the whole supply of bread going to be gone. There's going to be nothing. Okay? That's for beginning. That's where God begins by removing the sustenance of life, food and water. Um, and the, the very ability to grow food, if he removes the water supply, how are they going to grow food? Answer, they're not. You can plant seeds in the ground all you want. If it doesn't have any water, it ain't going to grow. This is the idea here. He's going to even remove that. And, uh, and uh, the water supplies were going to dry up. And remember, in this time, they had uh, primarily they, they kept their waters in uh, cisterns. Reservoirs, that's how they kept their water supply. There might have been some agricultural way to, to uh, water their, their crops, but if God's taken away all the water supply, then once that dries up, it's gone. There ain't no more water. Um, so you see the, the beginning of this and how horrible it's going to be. Then he says in verse 2, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder. The mighty man and the warrior, he says. This is the, 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 the brave ones, those who are, who are uh, um, mighty in name and in deed. Those men who stand out. Who stand out as, as the guys who were going to be the military type. The warriors, the fighters, the protectors, the men. He says, the mighty men and the warrior. And then he says, the judge and the prophet. So justice is going to be removed. Amongst the people. Not God's justice. God's justice is being played out. There's not, they're they're going to have unjust judge, judges. And I, I mean, I couldn't help but go through this and go, man, this sounds a lot like what's going on now. Like, horribly like what's going on now. Um, the judge and the prophet. So the, the spiritual life of the people who have been led astray by these prophets who have been um, perverting what and who God is, perverting them and leading them astray, taking them down paths that they should never have taken instead of leading them to the one. They had the temple there. They had the temple of God. They had a place where they could go and meet with God. They had the, the place where God chose, He specifically chose the place to put His name there so that they could identify with the fact that God is Emmanuel, God with us. And instead of bringing those people to that place where they could commune with God, they led them astray. And so there's no justice. There's no spirit. The spiritual life has been perverted. The diviner and the elder. Now the diviner, um, <clears throat> that is somebody who is, uh, let's see if I can find that in my notes here. Um, that is the divine. The diviners is the word um, croissant. Not croissant. <laughs> Ka, it's it's croissant. 
Chassam. And it really is, a, is a, the practice of divination to divine. It's the diviners of the nation. And then part of the definition is like Balaam. So uh, false prophets of Israel, that which was uh, divining what was prohibited. They were, um, so, the, so anyone that you could look to for wisdom or guidance, and we're going to get, uh, we're going to cover more of that. So the, the mighty men, their protection squashed. The judges corrupted. The prophets were all perverted. The diviners were ungodly. Um, the elder, the one who had honor, the one who, who uh, people would look to for wisdom, they're going to be gone. They're going to lead them astray. Um, the captain of 50, those who are in charge, those who are the, uh, the managers of men, if you will, and they have respect, and they've earned that respect. And then he says, and the expert artisan, those ones who are skilled in different crafts, also will be removed. And the skillful enchanter. Um, the skillful enchanter uh, is similar to the to the uh, um, to the one that is the diviner, and uh, and that's. Uh, uh, let's see if I can read this. Ach uh, ash, ach ash, is the name for the uh, for the skillful enchanter. That's someone who's a whispering, charming, a serpent charmer. Um, yeah, one of those uh, deals. Someone who charms and amulets wor uh, worn by women, they whisper and, and uh, entice. They're enchanters. Yeah. Um, so even those would be everyone uh, of importance to the people would again be abased, just as it spoke earlier. They're going to be laid low. They're going to be humbled by God, uh, just as spoken previously. And a note that all that the rebellious had become trusting and dependent on all of these things. And if they were solely dependent on these things, then who were they not dependent on anymore? God, Yahweh. They had turned from Him. So they had become like the nations around them. They were idolatrous, they were adulterous, and they were trusting in man, which they're told not to do over and over and over again. And so God says, I'm going to take them out of the way. Look what he says, the counselor and the expert artisan. The counselor, those who you go to to get advice, they're going to lead you astray. They're going to pervert your ways. Um, that's what was going to happen. And then he says in verse 4, and I will make mere lads their princes. Now, this is important. You know, I think recently of, uh, uh, how many of you know who Greta Thunberg is? Why would we know that? How about uh, David, um, David Hogg? Um, these are people who, who are prominent. And there was another gal, and I can't remember what her name is right off the top of my head. But there's, there's these young people that the media bring to us. And in uh, Greta Thunberg's uh, um, case, it was to scold all of us adults. How dare you, she says. How dare you. This young person with no life experience, uh, this poor 
girl who's being used as a puppet, as a, as a pawn in a, in a larger game. And she goes along with it because she doesn't know any better. And people buy into it. And it's like the idea of how many, and, and all of us, we've seen it, how many of us have had children who have uh, thrown a tantrum? How many of us have ever been in a store and watched a child throw a tantrum? And you want to go up to the parent and go, what's the matter with you? Be the parent. Quit giving in to this little brat. Change who they are. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you got to use that rod, that belt. It ain't going to kill them. Yeah. They need that. And the further you let them go, the worse they're going to get. This is the idea that's being brought up here. That's who's going to lead. This is the judgment of God. That's why I said it's so hard to separate this from, from our things that are going on today. And it says here, the, the, uh, not only that, not only are the mere lads going to be their princes, the ones who are brought into prominence, but also the capricious children will rule over them. Capricious. They're the, the tenter, temper tantrum people. I think about Antifa. I think about Antifa when I see this. I'm like, wow, this is like going on right now. These young people who are um, capricious. They attack anybody and anyone, and they're, doing, they're, they're guilty of the very thing that they say that they stand against. They're, they're guilty, and then they, they beat you up for it because you're not doing anything against them. This is, a, kind, this is a, a judgment of God. And that's what I want to kind of focus uh, today's message is, is that very thing. Because um, in the uh, title, the judgment has been decreed. The judgment decreed. And this is what God is decreeing. This is what's going to happen. These are all the things that are going to take place. And this is what's going to happen as a result as to how I'm going to judge them. Um, not only are the capricious children ruling over them. That's the arbitrary power will rule. They're arbitrary. One moment they're happy, and we know that, you know. Um, children are just, I, you know, I, I, it never ceases to amaze me when I watch an adult trying to reason with a six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old child. It's like, squash that, would you, already? They need your guidance. They need you sometimes to squash that nonsense out of them. And uh, by squash, of course, I don't mean, you know, literally squash. Um, but just stop the nonsense. And, and uh, it just drives me crazy. Um, but that's what God says is going to happen. He says also that the people will be oppressed. Well, yeah, <laughs> that would oppress. And then he says, and each one by another, and each one by his neighbor. You know, how many times have we seen those, uh, those funny memes, uh, you know, the Karens that are calling the cops because, hey, my neighbor's out with, without a mask. They're, they're having a birthday party and I don't like it. And that's against the rules. You're having charge. Yeah, yeah. There is those. I mean, I mean, in Mississippi, sad as it was, somebody burnt it to the ground, a church building. They burnt it to the ground and then left a note. And uh, I guess something about hypocrites and they couldn't spell <laughs> The uh, H Y P O K R I T S, <laughs> and so, 
And, and so they, uh, you know, and, but, but it's sad. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. We'll teach you. We'll, we'll get you to stop meeting. I, I pray that this morning that there that they met, that church building met, they met outside the, the building there and they just praise God and, and all those things. And, and in some places where they're, where they're meeting, as an aside, has nothing to do with what I was talking about, but I couldn't believe where I was seeing that some people were going to meet and they weren't going to sing. And I'm like, I, I, I can't, yeah. I'm like, well, if somebody's, if somebody's preaching, then that's going to be the equivalent. Um, I don't know, it's just so many weird things. Um, but it's going to be like that. It's capricious. It's, it's arbitrary. It's all just weird and, and nonsense. But it's, it sounds a lot like what's going on today, and we're oppressed. We're not, thank God. Um, and it says, each one by, by another and each one by his neighbor. And then he says this, here's where I really think about Antifa, the youth will storm against the elder. The youth will storm against the elder. I also think about the 1960s, the era in which I was born, you know, and I was too small to understand what was going on then, but now, but I've experienced that and I've gone through, and I remember seeing, even as a little child, seeing those news reports and all the, the unrest that was going on and all the nonsense that was happening. And all because the youth was... Uh, um, it was rebelling and storming against the elder. We don't like your generation, so we're going to change things. We're going to do a monumental, a monumental change. We're going to totally change things. And then he says, and the inferior against the, in, the honorable. And, and we see that. And that's part of the reason why I mentioned, you know, this uh, poor gal, and maybe she, she might grow up and grow out of that, Miss Thunberg, and, and uh, David Hogg, that guy, he's, he's one of the, he's, he's a very dishonorable young man, he's got a really foul mouth, I guess he thinks that makes him tough, um, he's the anti-Second uh, Amendment, the one that came out of the uh, um, Marjorie, um, what was the name of that school, or that last school shooting that they had in Florida, he's one of the ones that came out of that. And just a very dishonorable and inferior person who is against the honorable, those that we know that should be honored. That's what God says is going to happen. Um, he also says here, uh, when a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house, saying, you have a cloak, you shall be our ruler, and these ruins will be under your charge. Um, things are going to get so desperate now notice that he says, he, he doesn't say that you're going to be in charge of the, the city and, and all the, our nation. He says, of these ruins. He's, they're admitting that, see, when things get so bad, if somebody has what is perceived at that moment as a luxury, they're like, hey, maybe that, that's the person that should lead us. And look at the response um, the, of, the, of that guy. On that day, he will protest. Or will he protest saying, I will not be your healer, for in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. He's saying, I ain't got it any better than y'all. It's the same. Why are you looking at me? I can't do anything about this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no thank you. I think I'll pass. Um, 
That's the idea here. When things get that bad, uh, you look to other people. And still, notice the, the kind of the uh, sarcastic sarcasm that's going on here is, who are they looking to instead of God? They're still looking to another man. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's what disobedience and sin does. It so distracts us that we cannot even think properly. It is so irrational that we just don't see the obvious. We can't. And it does distract us. And it does make us uh, uh, crazy like that. And then he says here, um, he says, you should not appoint me ruler over, over the people. Don't do that. That's, that's not going to help anything. I'm just like you all. And then he says in verse 8, he says, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, because why? Their speech and their actions are against the Lord. They can't even speak what is right anymore. They can't even speak right anymore. They can't speak the things of God anymore. They're so far removed from Him. And their actions are totally against Him. Right? And so he's, he says that's, what's, what, that's why Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen. Because of disobedience. That's what disobedience does. It causes us to stumble and it causes us to fall. Because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. And then he says, to rebel against His glorious presence. Rather than, rather than seeking and, and being able to come into... And remember, they had the temple. That's where He chose to make His presence known. All they had to do was go there and worship. All they had to do was do what they were supposed to do. They couldn't. The inability, the inability of man, the inability of fallen man. That's what was going on here. And so he says, this is why that they've fallen. This is why, because of the rebellion and because they've rebelled against the glorious presence of the Almighty. Imagine that. Um, that's, that's hard for us to imagine on this side of salvation, not so hard on the other side of salvation. Because that's how we lived our lives, right? We didn't care about the things of God. In fact, when anybody brought them up to us, it made us bristle and we didn't want to hear it. And we let people know in no uncertain terms, we don't want to hear it in our BC era. But these here are in rebellion. They don't want the presence of God. They don't seek the presence of God. They want their idols. They want what they want. They are going to suffer the consequences. Verse 9 says, The expression of their faces bears witness against them. This is the idea of their faces are, what are you talking about? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? You know, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. Only God can judge me. <laughs> that was a... That was... So uh, um, that was a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of assignment. Um, might have, might have. I just, yeah. Um, so, so the clock just fell, for those of you who are watching. That's what that noise was. 
There wasn't an earthquake so far as I know. So far as I know. But this is 2020, so who knows? Um, so he, he, as we go on, he says, The expression of their faces bear witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. And if you remember the, the story of Sodom, um, two angels, and it's in Genesis, and I think I put that in your uh, bulletins, so that you can go and look at that and read and remind yourselves of these. Um, it's in Genesis. Um, and Israel has no sense of shame at this point. They're defying God and acting as if the covenant that he had made with them, that he had made for them, did not exist. That's what happened. And if you remember the story in, uh, in Genesis 19, 1 through 15, um, and in fact, I can't, I can't watch the clock anymore. <laughs> the first thing I, let's turn to that real quick, um, just to read that, because this is the idea here that God is presenting. Um, in Genesis chapter 19, uh, verses uh, 1 through 15, this is how it reads. Genesis 19, 1 through 15. Now the two angels came to Sodom and the evening, in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of the Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose and met them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into the servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then we may, you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we will spend the night in the square. Verse 3, yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. And, uh, and it says, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, and we all know what Sodom means, it's they surrounded the house. So imagine that. A group of men come to this house and they surround it, both young and old. It wasn't just one particular group. The entirety of them had become so abased and so um, horrifically um, abominable in their sin. It says, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out, and of course, that relations, that word relations is just what you think it is, relations. Same relations that you have, um, it's just, just awful, awful. Um, it says, but Lot went out to them at the door, and, and, and uh, um, they said, bring them out so we may have relations. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind them and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Um, please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already he's acting as a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So you see the evil intent that they had. They knew what they were going to do. And then he says, uh, he says not only that, we're going to treat you worse than, than what we uh, would have treated them. Um, 
Uh, and then it says, uh, let's see in verse 10, but the men reached out with their, uh, their hands um, from inside and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. These are the angels. And then in verse 11, and they struck the men who were at the doorway at the, of the house with blindness, both small and great. And listen to this, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. They're blinded. I mean, think about that. Your sight is just taken away. Boom. And rather than dealing with that reality, you're so filled with this lustful desire that that matters more. And not only that, you weary yourself trying to find the door. They were desperate. This is an awful picture. This is the idea when back in, uh, in Isaiah where he talks about that they're, they're uh, displaying their sin like Sodom. This is the idea that's being built up. This is why God is judging them so harshly. And just to finish out here, it says, um, um, <clears throat> And the men said to Lot, Who, uh, who else have you, uh, have you, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. Or, and then he says, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord, Yahweh, has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, up. Get out of this place, for the Lord, Yahweh, will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be justing. What, are you kidding? Get out of here. Stop it already. Go on, ah, pshaw. Get out of here. Surely you're joking. You don't know what you're talking about. What's going on here? That's how blind they were. This is the depravity of man. This is the depravity of man. They won't even listen to a warning. Um, so they look at them as they're joking. And then it says, and uh, in verse 15, And when a morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand, and even, even Lot is hesitating at this point. Because he'd been affected by all this stuff. This is a good uh, uh, lesson for us and to remember when God tells us to do something, don't hesitate, do it. Just, just do it. Yeah. Otherwise, might have to have somebody grab you by the hand and, here, we're going to go do this. Um, he says, but they hes hesitated, so the men seized the hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters all of them have been affected by this, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. That is God's grace right there. I'm going to judge. I'm going to destroy the entire thing. But his compassion on those whom he has chosen to save. He has compassion. He saves. Um... He says uh, uh, here in verse 17, And it came about that when they had brought them outside, that one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, 
Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. Uh, you have been magnified, your loving kindness, um, which you have shown me by saving my family. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Hesitation. <laughs> yeah, that's from the book of Hesitations. It's a bad, it's a bad book. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't be part. Don't be don't take part in that uh, that book. So going back to uh, to uh, um, Isaiah here, um, he says, "Look, this is this is what your sin has become like. You you display your sin like Sodom." And just that account that we read, there's no shame. There's no more of any of these things. It's a lot like what's going on today in our world around us, in our country. And there's no shame. There's no, they display their sin like Sodom. That's the way that it is. And for Christians, we need to live in such a way that we, we show that we're different. And then it says here, it says, For they uh, say to the righteous, um, literally it says, Say to the righteous that, well, well. It's going to be good. It's all right for the righteous. But then it says, For, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Then it says, Woe to the wicked. You know what the word woe there is? Oi. It is the word oi. Oi. Oi vey. It's the word woe to them. Woe to the wicked. Badly. That's what's going to happen. Nothing but bad. For what he deserves... The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. He says, for what he deserves will be done to him. That's the wicked. God is putting in juxtaposition the ones he calls righteous, the one he looks to as righteous, those who are his own. And it's not so much that they in themselves are righteous, it's exactly what I just said. It is those to whom God has chosen to look at as righteous. Those who have heard the voice of the great shepherd and said, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you, God, that I'm a sinner. I believe you, God, that, you're, that I'm guilty. I believe you that I am a rebel. I believe you that I deserve your judgment. But I also believe that you sent a Savior. And that He paid that price on the cross. Um, I keep looking up there and it's gone. Oh, it's right there. Okay. Still got a little bit of time. Um, so He says, He says, Woe to the wicked because it's going to go badly. And for whatever, what uh, He deserves will be done to Him. Then He says, Oh, my people, their oppressors are children and the women rule over them. And I tried and tried and tried to find... I remember Ravi, uh, Ravi Zacharias in one of his, his uh, um, presentations was talking, and he was preaching, and he was talking about a missionary in Japan. And I can't remember, I couldn't find the story, and I wish I could, because I want to be able to quote it more uh, clearly. Uh, and I'm doing this from memory, so it's dangerous. But I remember that he said that at the time, uh, Japan is one of the hardest, hardest places to preach the gospel. Uh, in the 1500s, there was, uh, there was some breakthroughs, but it quickly turned. Um, it's like the enemy has a foothold there. Um, and 
the headway that they had made, the missionaries that had gone over there, um, at one point the, uh, with the rulers, the way that they did, and the, the one that unified everybody, he said, look, um, all these people and these uh, leaders who have bowed the knee to Christ, um, we need to outlaw this because if we're going to be one nation, we have to be one nation. And our traditions matter more. And anyways, the, the missionaries over there were rounded up. And I remember that uh, he said, and I wish I could remember the names of the missionaries, but I can't remember the exact one, and I'll, hopefully I'll find it. But he said that, that what the missionary remembers, and he's writing in, in his writings, he lived through it. He's one of the few that did live through this uh, terrible time where they persecuted the Christians so much, especially the missionaries. And they made a public display of them because they wanted the people to understand we're going to take your, those who have brought this other message about this other God. Um, we're going to take and, and make them a public display. And the missionary remembers thinking, and he's in his writings. He prayed that the persecution, that what was going to unfold would be done at the hands of the adults. Because he was terrified of the children because of their cruelty. Because that's how children are. You can make children do the most cruelest thing. Um, MS-13, the gangs. Why do you think they start with young, young people, teenagers? Because you can make them do crazy things that they don't think about. Their consciences are still open. They're still learning. And when you get them to the point where they can do this horrific stuff, how do you think they're going to be when they're older men? How much worse are they going to be? But this is the idea here, and, he's, and this is why God is saying, oh, my people, they're oppressors of children. Here's another judgment, and I'm about to get really controversial. Um, women are rulers over them. Um, right now there's this, this uh, wave of things that are going on right now where uh, this second wave of feminism within the church is starting to to build up some steam, and it's more and more where, where women, and, and, and I'm just going to say it like I think it is. When women desire to usurp the place of elder, pastor, bishop, teacher in the church, that's what it is. It's a usurpation. It's usurping the power, and they're bypassing what God has said and intended. And the reason it's a judgment is because it's, it's um, in the way that it, that, of the culture of that time that men were supposed to be the ones who were in authority and who were the rulers. And they were supposed to do it well. It's not that women didn't have a place. They did have a place. It just wasn't in these places. And especially in the church. And I think that's why you're seeing more and more women, quote-unquote, pastors. I see them all the time on, on YouTube. And the horrific things that I hear and the ridiculous. I, I watched as long as I could. One, I can't remember her name, but they, she was there. And I'm not kidding you. She just, all she did was, was laugh. She just started laughing just because she was in the spirit, she said. Yeah. And this was just fairly recently, by the way. It was, we're not talking like, 
back in the 90s when that the whole thing movement was going. And, and there, was, there was men in the, in the crowd that were cheering her on. They were praising the Lord. I'm like, what in the world? She said absolutely nothing. Just, and she just kept saying, well, it's the Spirit. He's, he's working so hard in me right now. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is judgment. This is judgment. I mean, this is ridiculous. Women do have a place, and they play a part. But he says this is why God is, is uh, saying this, and he's, he's decrying the idea that the oppressors are children and that women rule over them. This was never intended. This is judgment. And so now that I've said that controversial thing, and it'll be out there forever, that's just the way it is. I'm sure there will be somebody that listens and doesn't like that, but that's the way that it is. Um. Because we're told in Titus and we're told in Timothy what the qualifications are, and it begins with men. And that's it. Women cannot be the husband of one wife. I don't care how hard you try. Just can't. Can't be the husband of one wife. Right? Women can't. They must be men. Only men can be husbands. Okay? But he says they're going to lead those who guide you, lead you astray, and confuse the direction of your path. Heavy stuff. Well, I want to finish with this. He started by saying, I'm going to take away the bread. Um, by the way, I printed this out if any of you are interested. There was a couple of uh, women who usurped some power. Uh, one, one, in one case, they usurped power. In another case, they were placed, and it's, uh, um, it was Atalia was one of the queens that did. And there's also Jezebel, but that was a little bit different. She ruled from behind the throne. Atalia actually usurped the throne, and uh, that you can find in 2 Kings 11 and 2 Chronicles 22-23. That should be in your bulletin. And also the story of Deborah, because when, when uh, people who say that women have a place in the, in the pastorate, they immediately go to Deborah, always, every time. Like, well, Deborah wasn't a pastor, so <laughs> you have a problem there. She was a judge. And she was only a judge because it, when you open up that story and begin reading in, in, in Judges 4 and 5, what it opens up with, the men of Israel were corrupt. And so, Deborah, you get the point. It's very simple. It's like there was no godly men, so God had to use a woman. And he used her to shame them. And in the story, it's, it is shameful. Because she says, hey, God is, she's prophesying, and she's saying, go out to war against Sisera and the guy Barak is the guy who's there and he's like oh no I can't go I, I won't go unless you go it's like what she said take 50,000 men and go or 10,000 men however it was and go no not unless you go shameful shameful um, and that's uh, found in uh, Judges 4 and 5, and you can read that story for yourself. Um, I wanted to finish with this. When you, when you think about how God opens up this, uh, this here in, in um, chapter 3, and he takes away the supply I could, uh, of, of water and bread, the, the first thing that came to mind was that we have the living waters. And I want to read from John chapter 4, verse uh, 10 through 14 here. As we close. And it reads like this. And Jesus answered. And this is the, the story of the woman at the well. 
If you're familiar with the story, you'll, you'll know it. Um, and I want to pick up in verse 10. They're now by the well, and, and Jesus says, uh, Jesus answered to her in verse 10 and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In Isaiah, he's going to take away the whole supply of water. In Christ, we have the living water, that which brings life. Yeah, that which, that which sustains us. That which has more than just the water that we drink from a brook or from a well or from one of these things. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him shall never thirst. Hallelujah. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's the promise. And I want to finish with uh, John chapter 6, just a few uh, pages over. In John chapter 6, um, we have the account here, and it's very important. It's talking about the bread of life. God in Isaiah removed the supply of water, and then he removed the whole supply of bread, that which would sustain a person. And so here we have in, in uh, um, juxtaposition to that which God had to begin with to remove, Jesus makes this proclamation starting in uh, chapter, John chapter 6, verse 32. And it reads as following, Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Well, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us his bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. On the one hand, he shall never thirst. On the other hand, he shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. The water and the bread. And then he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And all who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. In so many words, what is Jesus saying there? For I have come down from heaven. He was. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. And of all that he has given me, that I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And that's not may as it's possible. It means that it is done. It's a sure thing. That he will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
You have the Father and you have the Son here working together in unity. And the work of the Spirit to make all these things possible. And the unity of the triunity working in community to make this come to pass. The surety of salvation. Then the Jews, therefore, were grumbling. Now notice it was the Jews here who were grumbling. The religious types. Because he says, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say now, uh, I have come down out of heaven? See, they were still stuck there. <laughs> they knew what he was saying. They got it. They got it. Yeah. Like, how can he say that he came down out of heaven? He's, and I understand their confusion, though. I do. I get it. I do. And then Jesus answers and said to them, Do not grumble among yourself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Again, you have there the working of the, the uh, um, intertwining of the Father and the Son working together in unity to make this happen. He says, um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then one of my favorite verses, and it is written to the prophet or in the prophets, that they shall all be taught of God. Who shall be taught of God? Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father. And what do they do in response? They come to Jesus. Yeah. That's a real come to Jesus moment right there. Yeah. It's because the Father. That's what we talked about Wednesday night a little bit. The Father has caused them drawn them to come, and he's the one that taught. He says, not, only, uh, not that any man has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I love that. It's a guarantee. Sure. It's not assumed. It's not probable. It's sure. And then he says this. He says, this he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that, uh, so that one may eat of it and not die. Hallelujah. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of this world is my flesh. That is our hope. That was the hope. And you notice how God had removed that. And I love the way that God has woven the New Testament and the Old Testament together to reveal these things. Here he's removing the supply of water and the supply of bread. And in the New Testament, he's giving us living water and living bread. Because why? Because of the price that was paid, our sin is forgiven. And we can partake in communion, in koinonia fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with God, and partaking of these things. That's what this is about. This is about, I wanted to leave us with that hope, with that reminder of the gospel. That Jesus says, I am the living bread. And if you eat of it, you're going to live. And if you drink of the living water, 
you'll no longer thirst. That's the hope. Meaning judgment, for the most part, has been removed. Because who will bring a judgment against God's elect? Who? Who will? No one. No one. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that even in these uh, decrees of judgment that your grace just flows. And we thank you for them. We thank you for the grace that you displayed in, in the uh, story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and his, his uh, children. We thank you for the grace that you had on those, the remnant that you saved at that time in, in Isaiah. And we thank you that you always have a remnant. We thank you, Lord, that you save us today. We thank you, Lord, that you count us as righteous when we believe you. We thank you that you are the one who makes it all possible and that none can come to you unless you first draw us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing the Father to us and that we could know. Forgive us of all our sins. Cleanse us over and over again. Thank you, Lord, for this new life that you've given us. And that we who have partaken of the bread of life and who have drunk of the living waters will neither die nor thirst. And we thank you for all these things and more. For your goodness and your grace, which was purchased to be displayed and was given there on the cross. Your grace, wonderful grace, marvelous grace. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Be glorified. Amen. Amen.